Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Scripture today is Matthew 6, 9-13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Morning. How y'all doing? Excellent. I was literally just texting VJ. I'm like, bro, you got to share that update with my church. So hopefully he gets that text message while he's driving. Hopefully he doesn't check it while he's driving. But anyways, and uh, can share that. It's just so exciting what's happening in our family of churches. And I just uh, hope that my church will be encouraged by that too. Great to be back with you. Uh, it's it's kind of funny. We're talking and starting a new series called Finally Free. And it's April and it's negative seven. Yeah, you crazy Canadians. It's ridiculous, eh? Uh, don't worry, I'm Canadian too. You're like, where's this guy from? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's awesome to be here with you. Uh, if we've never met, I, I hope we do. Maybe today in the 30-minute party after the service. Uh, my name is Mark, and as VJ said, I pastor a church about 15 minutes away, unless it's rush hour, then it's an hour and a half away. Trust me, I've done it. Uh, but anyways, uh, in a place called Rexdale, and it's a church, a little church called Connection. And, uh, and we're really excited to be partnering together on this journey. And uh, last time we partnered together, uh, we did what we did was we stagger started the series. So part one happened here. And then the next week, whoever did part one went to Connection and did part one. And you guys were ahead. You got part two. And I told you it sucks for you because you get the unpolished version. Well, this time, Connection started the series last week. And so part one happened then. You're getting the polished version. You're getting the, you know, after my wife heard the message and like, that was kind of dumb and I can't believe you said that and that was politically incorrect. Like, you get the proper version, okay? If you want to hear all the outtakes, you got to go on our website and listen to that version and it's usually longer, okay? So, uh, so glad to be here with you. It's going to be really exciting to go through this series and uh, just put my timer on here. As my wife tells me, I always go over time, so I'm trying something new here. Okay, excellent. Well, we're starting the series and uh, last time I was here, I told you a little bit of a story about my son, okay? Those of you who know, uh, I have now, he's 11 months old. I should have brought a picture. That would have probably been helpful, right? But uh, he's, he's getting bigger and bigger. And uh, the reason I often tell stories about my son is because if, if you're parents, which I think a lot of you are, uh, you discover something when you have kids is that there's something about kids that tell us about our own human nature. You see, because we watch them so much closer than we watch other human beings. And so we discover things that have been true our entire lives. But because we're watching them so close, like, oh, isn't it interesting that he does that? And why is it that every time you say no, he freaks out? And it's kind of like you, honey. You ever had that moment where you just, you just, you realize that they're just like us, just with less facial hair, no undergrad degree, right? But like, they're, they're so similar. And so sometimes I just, I look at my kid and I discover things about humanity and our mannerisms and our way of life that are just so insightful into the way that we live. And so recently, I had this opportunity to kind of observe something in my child that is true about you and me and probably everybody else in the world. It was uh, a couple of weeks ago. My little 11 month old is is learning to kind of crawl and furniture walk. It's kind of fun. And I had this crazy idea. We got this new tool in our house. tool. I call it a tool. It's like a, a power tool for houses. It's a new vacuum cleaner. It's awesome, okay? But it's not just any vacuum cleaner. It's a robot vacuum cleaner. Anybody ever heard of, yeah, anyone have a robot vacuum cleaner? Aren't they awesome? You're like, well, how much do we pay this guy? Okay, no, like, I, 
I got it for free, okay? Someone thought it was broken. It was only missing a battery. So, you know, I went on Amazon, got a new battery. I know, it's awesome, right? So not only is it amazing, but it was free. So I literally, like, I sit there with my coffee, and I'm just, like, watching this thing. I'm like, this is amazing. It's so cool, right? I had this crazy idea, and you're like, why do they let these people be parents? But I had this idea. I'm like, what would happen if my son Grayson... 11 months old, met the vacuum cleaner, right? Because, I mean, isn't it fun when your child discovers a new friendship, a new relationship? It's like, this is the first time they met a dog. It was horrifying. Or he open mouth kissed the dog, right? Like, whatever it is, it's like this awkward moment. I'm like, what's going to happen when Grayson meets this robot vacuum? And so I put Grayson on the floor, and I, you know, hit the thing, and it, it's awesome. They, they just designed this so well. It has this little song it does before. It starts like, and then it, starts, it starts vacuuming the house. And then there's this moment where, okay, it's, it's awesome, okay? Grayson is going like this, and the vacuum's coming like this. If you're good at math, these angles— I mean, they're going to meet at one point, right? And so it's like he's going and he kind of sees it. And you can see he starts to become all robotic and is crawling and he's freaking out. And he's trying to get away from it, but it's just like, it's just, it's like, come on, stop and you'll save yourself, right? But he's just going in directly into the path. And so all of a sudden, at the last second, because I'm an awesome parent, okay, let me redeem your faith in me, I reach down and I swoop him up when it's about a foot away from him. And he just clings to me. And he is, and I, in this moment, I realize how horrible a father I am, okay? He's just, he's literally hyperventilating and clinging onto me and he will not let go. He's, he's just, he's not doing well, okay? Ever since then, we cannot let the robot vacuum anywhere near him. In fact, at one point, we're in the living room and he just starts crying. And I'm like, what's going on? He's staring all the way down to the other side of the house where the robot vacuum is parked in our bedroom, but the door happened to be open and he could see it. And he sees it and just the sight of it terrifies him. And in this moment, I kind of realized this thing that is so true that if you've ever taken biology class, you discover it's something that's built in us, that our bodies have this amazing ability to run from things that give us pain. That if there's ever an experience that you've had, the amazing thing is that years later, you can see it, you can smell it, you can taste it, you can have somebody tell you a story about it, and something about it just makes your heart start to beat and your body to cringe because we have this ability to run from things that bring us pain. I had this food poisoning event years and years ago as a kid, and I remember cream soda. I haven't had cream soda in over 20 years because my body just will not let me get close to it because there's something in us that has this ability to run from things that draw us pain. And in fact, the principle that we're going to learn today is simply this. We are drawn to things that bring us joy and run from things that cause us pain. We're drawn, from thi drawn to things that bring us joy and run from things that cause us pain. When I look at Grayson, I discover something that is true in all of our lives. If something is good, it tastes good, it feels good, we move closer to it. When we sense it's coming close, we want to get closer to it. We want to search for it, seek it out, pay for it, whatever we need to do to get it. And in the same vein, when something is painful, when something hurts us, when something is a bad experience— we don't go near it. I have a friend, he had a bad experience with dogs. He's still like little chihuahuas, terrifying. He's over 200 pounds. He just, it's just there's something in our human beings that when it's good, we draw close. And when it's bad, we run away from it. You'll see it in all of life. You'll see it in all the people that you know. But the interesting thing is that there are certain things in life that somehow don't fall into this category. That there are certain things that no matter how many times they hurt us, we still draw closer. You see, relationships is one of those things. I don't know about you, but some of the greatest memories I have are relational. You know, I look at photos not because I want to see the things that I've done, but the people who I did them with. In fact, the things that you remember always, you always, always, always reflect about the relationships and the people that were there because there's something about relationships and there's something about relational memories that just makes your heart beat. One author, he said, you know, it's like relationships are the DNA of the world. It's what makes the clocks tick. It's what makes our hearts 
beat, that relationships are so incredibly important. We love them, we look forward to them. That's why online dating is like a billion dollar industry. It's because relationships are so incredibly beautiful and exciting. We remember those moments when there were relationships that just excited us and we couldn't wait to see that person. We couldn't wait to hang out with them. When we were kids, it was our parents. When we got older, it was that significant other. And when now, you know, maybe you're a stage of life where it's your grandkids and you just, you can't wait and you're showing pictures of everyone. It's these, there's these relationships in our life that are just so exciting. And yet when you pause and when you think about it, isn't it true that the opposite is also true? That relationships are not only responsible for your greatest memories, but your worst memories? Isn't it true that some of the things that have hurt you the most have also been relational? Isn't it true that the times that you cried the hardest, the times that your pillow was soaked with tears, the times that you just could not sleep and you tossed and turned and tossed and turned and you just couldn't rest, the times you've been most anxious, the times you've been most stressed, the times you've been most depressed, isn't it true that relationships were often a big piece of it? That when you think about it, we have been so hurt by relationships and yet isn't it strange that we continue to go back to them over and over and over again? As another author said, he said, we are, drawn, uh, we are most drawn to and most hurt by relationships. When you think about it, it's like, why haven't we evolved out of it? Why haven't we just been like, well, I'm done with relationships. I'm just gonna go live in a bubble. You know, people just let me down all the time. They've hurt me too much. I'm done with relationships. It's like, we can't do that. It's like we, the relationship ends, it breaks up. We go through the divorce. And then a week later, it's like, I wonder if there's anyone else out there. I wonder if it, it's like, why do you want to go back into relationship? It's because there's something in us that we're gonna talk about in a second that just wants relationship and can't get away from relationship no matter how hard we try because it's the thing that hurts us the most and we're most drawn to. It's something that we can't get away from. In fact, everywhere you look, you're reminded of this tension that you live in. Maybe it's in the morning when you wake up and you look over at the person, the person that you can't wait to spend the rest of your life with, or the person that you're dreading spending the rest of your life with. Or maybe it's your kids, and it's that tension of you cannot believe what they did, or you can't believe that they don't call, but you still want them to call. Or maybe it's your parents, and it's that constant reminder of they've let you down, they've hurt you, and you can't believe that a human being who is supposed to love you can hurt you so much. And at the same time, you keep thinking, but I just so badly want a relationship with her. And I so badly want a relationship with him. And every, every time you promise yourself, I'm just not going to talk to them anymore. I don't need a mom anymore. I don't even need a dad anymore. And yet the phone rings and you pick up and you try again and you don't even understand it because we're most hurt by and we're most drawn to relationships. Maybe it's the reason you're here today. Maybe you're here today, you're like, I, I don't even know about church. I don't even know about God, but there's some nice people at Upper Room. And so I just, I'm here and the community group's great. And I just, I feel loved whenever I'm here. And I just, I'm looking for a relationship. You wouldn't be the first. Or maybe, maybe you're here because you had a relationship go bad at another church. And this is your way of managing the tension or running away from the tension because you didn't want to be there anymore because it hurt to even see those people because you were so hurt and they wouldn't forget and they wouldn't forgive or you were so hurt and you wouldn't forget and you wouldn't forgive. And maybe that's the reason that you're here. Maybe you're not even in the building. Maybe you're not in the room. Maybe you're listening online. Maybe you're watching online because there's a tension with someone who is in the room and you don't want to see them. You see, it's this tension that we carry everywhere, that relationships are the things that make our heart beat. They're the things that make the world go around, and yet they're the things that have the potential to destroy our lives, and as we're constantly stuck in this tension where we don't know how to deal with it, and it weighs on us, and it leads questions in our minds, and we start to ask questions like, is it me? Am I the problem? Is this the reason? Am I the reason? Have I done something wrong? I mean, over and over again, I keep ending up in relationships that seem to go bad or tensions that keep, to ri keep rising up. And so you just, it's this tension that just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. 
And so what we're going to do over the next six weeks is we're going to journey in this series called Finally Free, and we're going to wrestle through. We're not going to have a quick, you know, one-week answer, but VJ and I, over the next six weeks, are going to journey alongside with you to try and find out a solution to this tension that we all have. And today, the way we're going to start off that series and the way we're going to journey through this whole series is we're going to look at the scriptures to try and find a solution to that. Now, for some of you, you're going to think, why in the world would you look to a book that is thousands of years old to find freedom? You know, some of you, you grew up and it's like the Bible equals rules and we're talking about freedom and putting those two together feels like an oxymoron. It's like, how in the world could this ever make sense? Why would you look to the scriptures to find freedom relationally? But the thing that you may not realize is that when you look at the scriptures, not individual verses, but the entire narrative of scripture is simply this. It's a relational book. It's a book about a relational God who creates relational beings in his image. The reason why you can't evolve out of needing relationships is because it's in the core of your being. We were made in his image and we can never get away from that. And when you look at the entire narrative of scripture, it's all about a relational God creating relational beings meant to be in relationship with him and his creation and the story of how that went bad and the story of how God is making it right. And that's what we're gonna be looking at this entire series. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at the Lord's Prayer, which we just, uh, we just had read for us. And I want to zero in on maybe a passage, especially if you went to Catholic school, that you maybe said every single day of your life and you never caught the significance of how it actually resonates with the core of your being. I'm going to pull it out. It's uh, Matthew 6, verse 12, and it's something that you know even if you don't realize it. It says this, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Maybe the version you heard was forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who've sinned against us. But the direct translation, the way to explain it is actually forgive us our debts as we forgive those who uh, forgive, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Okay, it's interesting because when Jesus is using this language of sin, wrong, something that you've done to hurt somebody that's created tension between them and God and them and others, he uses a language of debt and payment, which is kind of strange, right? Like to you, you're almost like, is this about credit card debt? Because I got a lot of it and I could really use this prayer. No, just, just pay it off and cut up your credit card. That's how you'll get rid of that, okay? But this is, has nothing to do with your credit card debt. This simply has to do with a, a, a giving us an image that we actually understand and resonates with us all the time. You see, let me just give you a few examples. You ever had a moment in your life when someone hurts you and you say to yourself, they're going to pay for that? You ever said that? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> you ever had a moment where someone hurts you and you say, they're going to get what they deserve? You ever said that? I have. They're going to have to make it up to me. They're going to have to pay their debt to society. You see, we understand this very simple principle, which is this. When we are wronged, a debt is created and someone needs to pay. When we are wronged, a debt is created and someone needs to pay. You see, even in, this, in our city recently, in the last few weeks, there's been two uh, verdicts that have come out. And people have just come out and up around. We're not here to talk about whether it was fair or not. The reality is, is there's a city full of people who are protesting saying those verdicts weren't fair. Those people didn't get what they deserve and they need to pay more. There's something in you and there's something in me. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to believe in God, but there's something in the core of our being that knows when we are wrong, debt is created and somebody needs to pay. You just know it. And it's something that resonates with us. And so Jesus, when he's talking about wrongs that have been created, he says, forgive us our debts. And now whenever we say that prayer, we can now resonate with it and think, that makes sense. Because you know and I know that when someone does something wrong, a debt is created and someone needs to pay. 
Now the reality is, is in our city we have the government, we have the police, we have laws and courts and all that stuff to take care of justice to make sure that people pay and, and uh, y you can have all discussions about if that's fair or not. But the reality is I want to talk today about not so much the legal system, but our system. You see, the system where the police have no area, the things that are wrong, that you know are wrong, that I know are wrong, but they're not illegal and no judge is going to put someone in prison for doing it. And yet there's something in you and there's something in me that when they've happened, we think to ourselves, someone's got to pay for that. And the reality is, is when you are faced with that and when I am faced with that, the thing that we do when we think that someone needs to pay is we become, as I would call it, debt collectors. You may not believe me, but let me give you a few examples, okay? But before I give you the examples, let me give you a few ground rules, okay? Especially for married people, there's no elbows, okay? So when I give these examples, none of this action, like that's you, he's talking about you, sweetheart, okay? None of the, <coughs> okay, none of that, okay? No texting, like, are you listening? Wish you were here in church today, or here's the link to the message. None of that action, okay? I'm just speaking to you. You don't have to raise your hand, but you can't hit people with your hand, okay? Just, we, we understand, yes, okay, good, okay. So here we go. So let me, let me just give you some examples that will then bring us all up to speed to say, yes, we agree, debt is created when someone does something wrong, and we're all debt creators, who, debt collectors who try and make people pay, okay? Number one, regular reminders, Regular reminders. You know when someone hurts you and then you just seem the need to bring it up or you know someone who has the need to bring it up at every family function? It's like every Christmas, you're going to be reminded of that time when you were seven that you bit your, you know, like for me, it was I bit my sister and, you know, they still remind me of that time. And that's why she still doesn't sit next to me over 20 years later, right? Like it's just, they're just regularly reminding you. It's like you're going to pay by having to remember the stupid thing that you did or the wrong thing that you did, the hurt that you did. It's going to be over and over and over again. Number one, regular reminders. Number two, Silent treatment, pulling away cold shoulder. You're doing the opposite. You're not reminding them. You're not giving them anything. They're going to pay for what they did by losing the relationship that they had with you because you're not calling. You're not answering text. If you are, it'll be a week later. It'll be short answers. It'll be cold. It'll be the cold shoulder, the shrug off. That's the other way that you make people pay. That's number two. Number three, maybe some of you resonate with this. You don't have to raise your hand. I don't get mad. I get Oh, okay, there are a few more. Okay, great. You're the, you're the I'm going to make justice for myself, you know. Nobody else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make things right. This is kind of my MO. This is where I kind of land. This is where I play, you know. Like this, this thing happened to me uh, about a week ago. Uh, my wife and I, we rent out our basement, and so we had these, this young lady moving in, and I get a call from her. And she explains to me the situation, and I realize very quickly she's being uh, taken for a moving scam, which is basically this. They give you a price, they load up your stuff, and then once you're in the truck, they quadruple the price and refuse to give you your stuff back until you pay it. Some of you are like, yeah, I've had that happen. Okay, so she calls me, and she's like, so I'm stuck. They've taken me to a bank machine until I pay them, right? They won't bring me over, and I'm like, like the justice in me, like I'm thinking to myself, it's not theologically accurate, but I'm thinking the darkest pits of hell are for people like that, right? Like I'm so angry. I'm like, I'm going to make these guys pay. And so I'm like, can you hand them the phone? And I, I get on the phone and I'm like, just come to my house. We'll, we'll deal with this. Just come to my house. And I, you know, the truck pulls up. I'm like walking down the driveway and I'm like, you know, trying to look bigger than I am. I'm looking to the left. This is no joke. This is exactly what's happening, okay? I'm looking to the left, looking to the right. I'm not looking for a church invite because Upper Room has a series on forgiveness that I want to invite them to. I'm looking for a blunt object that I can lay the smack down on them with. I'm so angry. Like, I'm just like, somebody needs to teach these guys what's wrong. This is so, I'm like, a young woman, you're taking advantage of her. You're holding yourself high. I'm so angry. I'm going to make them pay. That's me, okay? So that's, that's the way that I, you know, resonate. Maybe some of you land there as well. You just want to take justice into your own hands, and that's how you make people pay. Others of you, 
you're kind of the other way. You you get the grudge. You hold on to bitterness, you know? You're the teeth-kissing, eye-rolling type. It's like, listen, that's what teeth-kissing was invented for, right? It's the way that you remind the person that you're married to, your parents, your kids, they still owe you. They haven't paid it. The debt is still outstanding. For me, I, I don't know how to roll my eyes, so I do what I call the grab and roll. When I get in bed and my wife has done something wrong, I do the grab the blanket, roll over. Anyone else? You do that? Yeah, it's the worst, right? But it's just, these are all ways that we debt collect. Am I wrong? No, we all do it. We all do it because we know when someone does something wrong, a debt is created and someone needs to pay. Oh, excellent, excellent. So in the end, I, I didn't, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I, uh, I, I spoke very patiently, calmly. My wife prayed for me and I went out there and I just dealt with them very, diplomatically. <laughs> Nobody was hurt in the making of that sermon analogy. Okay, there you go. There you go. And she got her stuff back and she's happily moved in now and uh, those guys are off. So anyways, so don't use blunt objects. It won't solve anything. We'll get to that actually. That's coming up in the sermon as to why that will not help you. Okay, so <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> Excellent. So then, so then here's the problem, okay? So this is where we live. This is our MO, okay? I know your hands weren't up, but you were all thinking, okay, I'm the grudge holder. I'm the cold shoulder person. I'm the, right? You all kind of picked your place where you debt collect. And then we come to church and it's like, forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And you're like, that's dumb, right? Like why in the world would we forgive? And yet when you open up the scriptures over and over and over again, we're faced with this, what seems like a horrible idea that we need to forgive people. Now, the thing that comes to your mind, the thing that comes to my mind is, but do you know what they did? They haven't earned it. I'm not ready to forgive. They need to pay for what they did. What they did was unforgivable. They don't show any remorse. I don't have any evidence that they won't do it again. Those are some of the statements that we kind of feel, and that's the reasons we withhold forgiveness. Let me pause for a second, and let me help you understand something very simple if we're gonna talk about forgiveness for the next six weeks. That you need to understand that forgiveness is maybe not so much what we've understood it to be. That in fact, by definition, forgiveness cannot be earned. When you look at the word forgiveness on the screen, there's a word that's hidden in forgiveness. For some of you, this is amateur hour. For some of you, this is gonna like blow your mind, okay? But there's a word hidden in there. Anyone know what it is? Give, give. By definition, forgiveness has nothing to do with being earned. It is something that you give. In fact, when you look at the original language that the scriptures were written in and the word that we translate forgiveness, can I explain to you the understanding of what came along and the weight that the word forgiveness carried? Okay, I realize this is going to make forgiveness even more unattractive, but this is what it says. Forgiveness means to set aside, to send away the debt, not collect it, but to send it away, to pour grace on, to move from justice to mercy. To set, a wa- set aside, to send away, to pour grace on, and to move from justice to mercy. You see, anytime that somebody wrongs you, and anytime you have wronged someone, there are two options that the person who has been wronged has. Here are the two options. Option number one, you can make them pay. Okay? That's kind of where we live. Option number two, you can forgive them, and you pay. You see, someone will always have to pay. The most simple rudimentary example I give you is simple this. Someone breaks your lamp, okay? And then they come and it's like, listen, you can make them pay for it. And then, then you get a new lamp, they pay, you don't. Or you can forgive them, but guess what? You pay, you have to read in the dark, that sucks. Or you have to buy yourself a new lamp, 
okay? But either they pay, you make them pay, or you forgive them and you pay. Someone will always pay in the end, okay? Now, the lamp is not really helpful in our relational situation. That's why we're going to unpack it a little bit more. But that is the reality that everybody's faced with. Now, when you look at those two options, the first thing you think is, well, then option one is my option because I'm not paying. It's kind of ridiculous. They hurt me, and now I have to give them something? That's dumb, right? Why in the world would I do that? So option one it is, I'm a grudge bear. I'm going to make them pay. I'm going to make my own justice, whatever it is. But there's a twist, and you know it if you think about it. The reality is, is that it's never that simple. The reality is it's never that simple. Do you know that we say, and we have this saying, an eye for an eye and what? The world goes blind. That there are entire countries that get wiped out because number one, people want the other people to pay. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and peace is never found. Your family's been fighting with that family. And it all goes back to what one family says is the first step. But they say, well, no, you came back too hard and back and forth, back and forth. It never ends. It's this horrible cycle that you look back decades later and you realize us bringing out justice and taking justice into our own hands, that hasn't worked for the world very well at all. And then it's like, well, what about grudge bearing and bitterness, right? Like, I'm not going to go and make my own justice, but I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to be bitter because isn't grudge holding and bitterness one of life's guilty pleasures? Like, isn't it kind of fun to just hold out? Yet the reality is that, think about it, grudge bearing doesn't work either. You know how you know grudge bearing doesn't work? You're still holding it. You've been holding it for years, maybe decades. The reality is, is I've never heard someone come to me and say, you know, pastor, I held a grudge. It was five years, 10 years. I got more and more angry than one morning. You know, after all that grudge holding, praise Jesus, everything's good. You'll never hear that because grudge bearing just gets worse and worse and worse. In fact, as one author said, we have it on the screen. It's that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So that Friday night after that incident with the movers, I didn't let it go. I'm just going to be honest. I was still burning up inside. I was angry. I'm lying in bed. My wife's asleep. I'm like, I'm going to get these guys. I'm going to make my own justice. I'm going to put nails in their tires. I'm going to call them and send them some fake address and pickering. Like, I was coming up with all these things. I was holding a grudge. I was getting bitter. You know who lost sleep that night? I did. My wife's happily asleep, but I'm the one holding the grudge. I'm like, I'm going to make them pay. Guess who paid? I paid. There's no freedom in grudge holding. There's no freedom in bitterness. There's no freedom in making other people pay. It's a twist to think that the only people who pay is them. The fact is, is that we suffer as well, which then makes us pause and think that maybe, maybe, maybe there's something to the option too. And that's the option that we're going to explore for this entire series that we're introducing today. Today we're going to look at what does it mean to forgive them and pay ourselves. And so what I want to do is, is very quickly, I want to take you to Romans 12, 17. If you have a device, flip there. If you have your Bible with you, uh, flip there. And I want to just pull out a, a very short passage and help you understand a little bit of what it means today. So Romans 12, 17, here's what it says. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. I know you're into debt collecting. I know I'm into debt collecting. When you open the Bible, he's like, but you don't get to repay evil for evil. Can I just pause and say, I love the scriptures actually acknowledge it's like, it may be evil, but your job description is not to repay it. You are not the debt collector. That's not you. It's very clearly. You do not repay evil for evil. And then verse 18 says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace 
with everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What we're learning so far is, listen, listen, your job is not to try and get payment from people. Your job is not to pay people back. Your job is to live at peace with everyone. To which then people, and then let me just pause for a second because people are like, whoa, 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 you don't know what they did. You want me to live at peace with them? You don't know what they did. You don't know how much they hurt me. You don't know how much they hurt my family, my kids, my business, whatever it is, okay? Let me just pause and let me highlight something that you need to understand. When we're talking about forgiveness, there are two things you will never find in scripture. You will find forgiveness all throughout scripture. You will find things about trust all throughout scripture. But let me just, let me just give you a quick summary of what you will not find in, in scripture. Forgiving someone, it's gonna be up on the screen, forgiving someone and attempting to live at peace with them does not mean that you trust them. Forgiving someone and attempting to live at peace with them does not mean that you trust them. What Paul is saying in Romans here is he's basically saying, listen, listen. Number one, I realize you will never be able to be at peace with everyone because it takes two to tango. But your job description is to attempt. In every situation, one day you're gonna stand before God and he's like, did you really try and be at peace with them? Okay, and the stumbling block that a lot of people have is like, no, 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 but I can never trust them again. And I just wanna say this very clearly before we go into this series. Forgiving someone and attempting to live at peace with them does not mean that you trust them. Okay, you are called to live at peace, not to be a doormat. Okay, you may have been abused. You may have had situations that I cannot even imagine. That does not mean when we are called to forgive them, it means simply putting the debt aside and not trying to exact payment, not trying to get payment. It does not mean that you get walked all over. It may mean the relationship's over. It may mean you're not doing business together anymore. It may mean they're not allowed near your kids ever again. Okay, what forgiveness means is that we are not gonna try and get payment out of them ourselves. And we are gonna try and live at peace with them. But it doesn't mean we trust them. And some of you, you just needed to hear that. And you just need to know that, okay? So as we continue, he says, so if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, okay? And then, I, I love this part. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, okay? Do not take my revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. What Paul is saying in this moment is, listen, listen, listen. I know you want revenge. I know you want to pay them back. I know you want to make your own justice, but that's not in your job description. Justice belongs to God. Last week I was teaching this at Connection. My friend Dwight, who's giving me permission to share the story, comes up to me. He's like, I love that verse. The reason you need to understand that is Dwight, I just got to give you a picture of Dwight. Okay, Dwight's a lot bigger than mine. Is, I say I, I do this to look tough. Dwight's stuck here. Okay, he's, he's ripped. Okay, like I show up at his house. No joke, he has a tractor tire in his driveway because in his spare time he just kind of, right? He's like, he loves Jesus, his family, and mixed martial arts. Okay, he's a beast. Okay, he, he's, he's, he's awesome. But the thing about Dwight is Dwight has worked for Young Street Mission for 15 years. Okay, Dwight, I mean, if you don't know anything about Young Street Mission, it's like a hard part of downtown. It's like strip club, Young Street Mission strip club. You know, it's just brokenness everywhere. I mean, he saw, he's seen the worst. He's seen young women who have been trafficked before they were even teenagers. He's seen kids who've been abused and run away from home because they could not stand to take the beatings. Like he's seen injustice on the front lines over and over and over again. And if I was Dwight, I'd be like, well, you know, here's a guy who's ready to deal and make his own justice. And he comes to me after church. He's like, I love that verse. And he quotes it to me in the old English. He says, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. And you talk to Dwight and he'll tell you story after story of people who have come in and he's like, I just wanted to kill them. I just wanted to make justice for myself. He said, the verse that kept me going, the thing that held me back was knowing that there is a God out there who is just, who will deal with it. And it's not my job. And he'll often say, and I'll, I'll often like, you know, let's, let's spar, Dwight. And he'll be like, I'm a lover, not a fighter. 
The thing that has kept him in the game, the thing that has stopped him from trying to make his own justice is knowing that there is a just God. That when you look throughout the scriptures over and over and over again, you see this picture of a perfectly just, a perfectly righteous God. That there are times in scripture, if I'm honest, I'm like, I'm cringing. I'm like, did God actually do that? And we just, as human beings who aren't perfectly just, we see some of the things that he does because of his justice and we think, how did that make that into the Bible? But that's what it means to be perfectly just, that he won't turn a blind eye, that there are no exceptions. He is perfectly just and all evil will be dealt with. But the amazing thing is that also, while he's perfectly just, the other thing you discover in scripture is that he is perfectly loving. That while he will deal with everything, he's so loving that he needed to find a way to pay that debt for us so that we wouldn't have to suffer. And that's why the entire Christian faith is built around a cross because the God of the universe decided to come down and send his son to die in our place, to pay the debt for sin for every human being, for you and for me. Our entire faith is built on the fact that our God is loving, our God is just. That the two opposites that you would think could never go together, he marries them together perfectly. And that's why when you open up the scriptures, you cannot get away from this idea of forgiveness. That over and over and over again, I'm just gonna highlight a few verses. Colossians 3.13, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just, uh, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. Our faith is built on forgiveness. And in Romans, we discovered today, he's saying, listen, listen, your job is not repayment. Your job is not debt collecting. Your job is to live at peace. God's job is justice. And let's be honest, whenever we try and be God, we mess things up. And every time we try and debt collect, we're just messing with the system. And we're not realizing that we have a role to play and it's to be at peace and to forgive and God's role is justice. Now, I realize that I can say that, but there are a lot of situations in your life and it's like, well, you know my story and you know the pain they've caused me. So let me tell you a story. A story that I heard years ago that forever changed my view of the power of forgiveness. Uh, many of you uh, maybe have heard of a man named Louis Zamperini, but I'm going to tell you his story today for those of you who don't. Louis Zamperini was in the 1936 Olympics representing America, and he was a runner. In fact, he roomed with Jesse Owens. And he was the favored to win gold in the 1940 Olympics, but if you know anything about history, you know there's no such thing as the 1940 Olympics because there was World War II happening. And so Louis Zamperini was actually uh, in the war, and he was flying over the Pacific when his plane crashed into the Pacific Ocean. And everyone on board died except for two others and Louis. And they were in a raft for over 47 days. It was a horrible experience. And, uh, you know, there's, you know, if you read the, or now there's actually a movie. Hey, for all you moviegoers, there's a movie now that's come out with this life story. And you watch this movie and you discover that there were sharks and it was, you know, they were hungry and it was just a nightmare. And there came a night, you know, in these 47 days where Louis just kind of turned to God and said, I don't know if you're real. But if you are, and you get me out of this, I will give you my life. So 47 days later, they were rescued and captured by a Japanese ship. And the things that would happen to them over the next two years would make the last 47 days seem like a walk in the park. That if you know anything about the way that some of the prisoners of war were treated, you can only imagine what Louis was headed for. But it was worse. Because one of the men, one of the soldiers who were in charge, Matsushiro Wantanabe, 
realized who this was and realized this Olympian and decided to give him a special beating. And so every day for two years, Louis was, was sitting under the beating of this man that over and over and over, it's as if this guy would sit up at night and dream up horrible ways to torture Louis. That one day he had a prisoner punch him in the face over and over and over and over again. Another day, this man came and hit him in the head with a belt so hard that he hit the ground and cracked his skull open to the point where Louis Zamperini realized he needed to kill this commanding officer. And so he started coming up with a plan and he was ready. He was ready to just kill this guy. And as he was making up his plan, all of a sudden he saw a plane fly over. And that plane was an American plane. And so Louis just stopped his plans and realized maybe the war is coming to an end. And sure enough, it did. And sure enough, he went back home to California. Louis got married to a lovely young woman. But his life was never the same. Because while the war was over, the war was raging inside Louis. And Louis got worse and worse and worse and the bitterness and the anger built up and he turned to alcohol and his life just spiraled out of control and as he just could not move past it it began to destroy his life then one day his wife came to him in 1949 she said sweetheart there's a, a young preacher in town his name's Billy Graham and I'd like to you know go and see him and Louis was like no I'm not going but wives can be persistent and so he ended up going and uh, he went and then he's like all right we're leaving now and they left and you know just as cold just as angry and then she came to him again and she said I'd like to go a second time he said fine I'll go but when that preacher says we're praying at the end of the night we are leaving and sure enough at the end of the meeting Billy Graham said, let's pray. And Louis Zamperini said, we're going. And as he was walking out, God reminded him that in that raft, once upon a time, he said, if you get me out of this, I will give you my life. He turned around, he went to the front, and he committed his life to Jesus. God who came in the flesh and died in our place. And over time, Louis realized that forgiven people forgive. And so Louis Zamperini, years later, went back to Japan in the 50s and visited the prisons where a lot of his commanding officers who had held them in captivity were staying. And one by one, he went to them and extended forgiveness to them. And he began to experience the freedom that comes from giving people forgiveness, that he understood this one simple principle, that we don't find freedom in making others pay, that we don't find freedom in making others pay, that this whole time, if anybody had the right to hold on to a grudge, if anybody had the right to hold on to bitterness, it was Louis. And yet he discovered that holding on and trying to make other people pay when we take God's place and trying to exact payment or to make justice for ourselves, he discovered it doesn't help you, it doesn't free you, it actually holds you captive and it destroys you. And so he discovered something that we are gonna journey on for the next few weeks was the only way that he found freedom and he began to forgive. And years later, because the one person who wasn't in prison was this man who had beaten him the hardest, Matsushiro Wantanabe. And years later, 1997, a producer from 60 Minutes tracked him down and found him. And they wrote a letter and they said, he's in hiding. He's never been in prison because of what he's done. He's never had to pay. Do you want to write anything to him? And you just imagine, he's never had to pay for his crimes. And Louis s sat down and wrote a letter of forgiveness. He said, I found Jesus' forgiveness. I hope one day you will too, but I want you to know that I have 
forgiven you. Because Louis understood this thing. We don't find freedom in making others pay. We don't find freedom in making others pay. So as I was sitting in my office last week, Saturday night, normally I just go there, just kind of look over my notes, get ready to make sure everything's in order. It's 9.30 at night. And all of a sudden I get this sense from God. And I'm, I'm kind of praying and I'm like, God, let this series be the thing that frees people. You know, as Vijay and I have been working, I've been studying on this for weeks and I'm realizing and I'm talking to people and I'm realizing relationships are being broken and tensions are flying. I'm like, and this is a series we need to go through as a church. We need to understand this idea of forgiveness. And 9.30 the night before, I'm supposed to stand up in front of my church and teach this first message. God says to me, it's you I'm actually speaking to. There's a grudge that you've been holding. There's a bitterness against a group of people that did something years ago that you haven't let go of and you're angry about and you want them to pay. You don't celebrate when things are going well for them. You don't celebrate when God is moving in their life because you are angry and you are bitter. 9.30 the night before I'm supposed to teach this and all of a sudden God points out, this is actually for you and I wanna speak to you. And you know in that moment after studying all the principles about forgiveness and getting ready to teach my church on this idea, I sat there and you know what the first thought that came to my mind was? It wasn't I need to be free so I need to forgive them. It was, I'm not forgiving them. They need to pay. The first thought that came to my mind and the first emotion, and in fact, I lay in bed most of the night and I didn't sleep that Saturday night because I didn't want them to get away with it. That I didn't trust that God was gonna deal with it because the reality is, is when we do not, when we wanna get payment from people, we are not trusting that God will deal with it. And it was a long journey. And for many of you, you're in that place where you realize it's gonna be a long journey. That we may get it in theory, that we know the scriptures are all about forgiveness. We know our faith is based on forgiveness. We know that forgiven people forgive. And yet there's a reality in which we have to take this journey. And that's where we're going over the next six weeks. Because we need to get to this place where we can move past it. Because we don't find freedom in making people pay. So we need to figure out how this forgiveness plays out. And you cannot miss next week when VJ takes us on that journey of what it means to count the cost and move forward. So let me pray for you and then VJ is gonna, or VJ, Tony is gonna lead us in communion. Father, I realize that this is a journey for all of us, that we are so desperately in need of understanding forgiveness. Lord, we realize the scriptures are clear that as we have been forgiven, we are to forgive. And so the place we probably need to go is to the communion table to understand that the best. So Father, would you bring us back? Would you bring us to your word, which we believe is here to speak to us? And it is your voice reminding us the importance that we are called to move forward in this area of forgiveness. Lord, and for all those people who are in this room who are thinking, not this situation. Father, I pray by your spirit that you would continue to bring us back, continue to bring us to the cross so that we can finally be free. We ask this in Jesus' name. One of the privileges of the person who speaks is the ability and the, the pleasure of sharing a benediction. And for those of you who are new, this, this is a strange word. It simply means to speak a blessing over, and that's uh, the amazing privilege that I have for you today. And so as we were singing that last, the second last song, um, Beautiful Things, there are two lines that stood out to me that I wanted to bless you with. Number one, it was a question, could a garden come out of this ground? So many of you are looking at the ground and you're thinking, this relationship is dead. This can never be revived. I can never free, whatever it is, wherever you're at. And then this, this other line, which just struck me, which is the opposite. It's, you make me new. You're making me new. Here, here's what I just want to bless you with today. You're here 
As my pastor used to say, the fact that you're simply here may be one of God's divine appointments. And my blessing for you is to believe that the same God that we just celebrated who rose from the dead, who conquered death, can make beautiful things out of what we see and just question and say, can anything come out of this ground? So as you go, may that be the encouragement that we worship and serve a resurrected Jesus. And as you go, uh, there'll be a group of men and a group of women who are here to pray for you if you want to start working through some of these things we've been talking about. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next week for part two.